0: Hey friends, welcome. Happy to have you here. Hello, Lou. How are we doing today? We've got Good. Our first we're stuff. at episode 195,
1: chapter 18. And we're, we're going at to be talking 195. This may be the first episode we ever teased,
0: where we talked a little bit about what we were going to do right before the episode. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, have- that's right. Yeah. I, I imagine Lou, for one, is excited about it because I know Lou loves things like this. Yes. So we're going to be, I'm hoping to get through. Uh, verse 10, 11, 12 quickly and then talk about uh, a James Webb space telescope. So we talk about uh, the planets and other things that we are going to head to. That's what Lou is talking about. We talked about this briefly at the end of uh, episode 194 and we were giving a little uh, knowledge of what's to come. So verse 10, the Satvik tyagi, the renounce, the relinquisher, of one's ego, or a self-realized person, a sattvic tyagi, the relinquisher, does not hate disagreeable action. So something that's disagreeable in action, he doesn't hate it, he still does it because it ought to be done. Nor is he attached to agreeable action, something that he likes doing. He doesn't say, I like this, I don't like this. Because being pervaded by sattva or purity Such a self-realized person is also extremely intelligent, and his doubts have been cut asunder. That's what Krishna says in verse 10. What does that mean? It means that as you do your actions, as the Gita prescribes, if you do it in a proper sattvic manner, then all your negative emotions tend to dissipate. Your negative emotions, such as anger, jealousy, greed, uh, hatred, all of these, the mind starts getting rid of these negative emotions. Right now, our mind, all our minds are full of these negative emotions. We need to purify it so we can think clearly, we can be more peaceful. And it can lead to an alert, more alert, heightened awareness. This is the key. That as you start to, your mind starts to become more peaceful and pure, it leads to a heightened awareness and intelligence, laser sharp. This then leads to knowledge that right now, when your mind is clouded, you can't get a certain knowledge, not knowledge about arithmetic and geometry or politics, but awareness, knowledge of the higher, the uh, more subtle knowledge of the self. This leads to a knowledge as your mind gets pure of the self, even if it's a glimmer of knowledge, even if you see it like through a haze, you're getting closer to it than you were with that cloudedness around you. And as long as you have an ego, I, 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 me, my, we cannot even get close to that realization. We cannot even get close to the self or even looking at it through a whole smoke kind of thing. All doubts get removed as to who am I, what is this world, who is God, what is God, what are the rewards of karma. All of this gets removed when the supreme is realized. So people who have become self-realized, Buddha, Jesus Christ, many, many others, we know about these two because they continue to work even after they became self-realized. Many people who become self-realized have become self-realized in remote places like the mountains. And they don't necessarily come down and be a part of the humanity. They might come down to the local Himalayan villages where everybody bows down to them and prays, but then they go back up to their caves. Jesus actually went around and talked to a lot of people and shared his wisdom, so did Buddha, and taught and wanted the world to become a better place. So why am I saying this? is because even after such a person becomes self-realized, he continues to function in this world, as opposed to going back up into the Himalayan caves and staying there. And he does his job. He does his work. He does his karma, healing people, helping people to become on this path to knowledge, like Jesus Christ or Buddha. How does he function is the key. Now he's become self-realized. In, in essence, it is Brahman, the power of consciousness, pure consciousness, functioning through a human body, speaking through a human body with the same voice that this human body had when he was just an ordinary human being, right? I hope you get that. He neither, this person, he with a capital H, this self-realized person, neither hates the negative actions that he has to do when he has to do something, that is negative, as think of Jesus Christ or Buddha as you're thinking of this, he, he neither hates the disagreeable actions, negative actions, kamya karma, which he, normally we avoid because we feel that it's going to lead to bondage and worldly uh, entanglements. We say, I don't want to do that because if I do that, then he doesn't because he's already beyond that. He's past it. This is the key. What things we say, I don't want to do that because I'll start to like it too much and it'll bind me. He doesn't. He, he disagreeable. He does it. Likeable. He does it. And he doesn't get attached. He doesn't get attached to what he likes. He doesn't get distant from what he doesn't like. He doesn't get attached to good actions and move away from bad action because he has gone beyond attachment and action. And that's what we were talking about in the last episode. Why does he not get attached? Because he's gone beyond attachment and action. You tell him this is good, this is bad, this is papa, this is punya. Papa means sin in Sanskrit, and punya means uh, blessings or good deeds. Papa punya, bad Brahman, is not for the self-realized master. Why? Because he's beyond it. Example, if you go to the sun and you say, start questioning the sun, if the sun were able to talk to you, about day and night, The sun would say, what day, what night? Mm -hmm. The sun doesn't know what is night. You know what is night because you're on this earth and there's day and night because of of the way the earth moves around the sun. But the sun doesn't know. He's self-realized in that respect. So a self-realized person doesn't know. So another example, if you take a cup and your cup has a handle and you say to the cup, which side is the right side of the cup and which is of the left? Which side is your handle on? Cup doesn't know. Cup says, I'm a cup. I don't know what side it is. Or a knot in a rope. As long as that knot is there, there's a left side of the knot and the right side of the knot. If the knot gets disentangled and becomes one long rope, there's no left and right side. Similarly, once a person becomes self-realized, there's no question about Good and bad, paap and punya attachment to good deeds and bad deeds, it is all the same. And that's the state of enlightenment. Verse 9, sorry, verse 11. It is not possible for the embodied to relinquish actions. It is not possible for the embodied. Now, when you say embodied, when Krishna says embodied, you tend to think of the Atman. Because embodied means something that is embedded inside the body. It is not possible for the embodied to relinquish actions, but he who relinquishes the fruit of the action is called a tyagi, a relinquisher. A little complicated to understand, but you'll understand when I explain it, I hope. Hmm. For somebody who holds on to one's body, is attached to the body, saying, I am a man. I am an old man. I am a young woman. I'm a young person, I'm handsome, I'm tall, I'm fat, all refers to the body. And as long as you're attached to the body, that's a part of your ego, okay? When this ego is not there at all, when you're not thinking of the body, when you don't even think this, you have reached self-realization. You renounce the doership. There's no such thing as I did it because there's no body, no self, no uh, mind. You must give up your attachment to the action and to the results of action. And such a person is called a tyagi, a renouncer, a relinquisher of all of this. Now, when you say body, there are multiple bodies, right? There's a gross body, my arms, my body, my head. This is my gross body. This is my physical body. It includes my sense organs, organs of perception, and my organs of action. The arms, the legs, the voice box, the genital organs, the organs of defecation and urination. That's my gross body. Then comes the subtle body, which is the thoughts and desires. All of you should know this by now. We've gone through it many times. And then lastly comes the causal body, which is the vasanas or the desires. Those vasanas and desires have come, as we said, from likes and dislikes. It's a vicious cycle. You like something, you indulge in it, it produces more likes, more desires, and it becomes a vicious cycle. And those vasanas are embedded inside you so that it becomes your nature to follow the desires of your vasanas. And those vasanas follow you from one lifetime to the next so that a million lifetimes later, you're still carrying the same vāsanas. They're much stronger in you now. So you may be I have a vāsana for money, for greed, for uh, food, for um, pleasures of the sense organs. All of these things. Those vāsanas are called the causal body because they cause you to do things uh, because of the desire. Now, an embodied, which is the atman, is that means that embody, that Atman is conditioned by these these different uh, uh, bodies, especially the vasanas. The Atman is pure, right? The Atman doesn't do anything. It just gives you the energy to do it. But in essence, it is fulfilling your vasanas because it is giving, like the electricity gives life to a bulb. This Atman is embodied in the body, and it is conditioned by these vasanas. I hope that's not too hard to understand. What do you think, Lou? No, I'm getting it. Okay. So he, that Atman is influenced by the vasanas, and they cause that body, that individual, to act helplessly to fulfill his desires. Hence, it is not possible for him to relinquish action. That's basically what it says. Let me repeat the verse itself. It is not possible for the embodied to relinquish action. So why is it not possible? Because he has his vasanas and the Atman is conditioned by those vasanas and it will keep doing those actions because of that. I I hope it makes it clear. Now verse 12 says, The threefold which is desirable, undesirable, and mixed, desirable, undesirable, mixed, fruit of action, accrues to non-relinquishers, also known as Atyagi. Atyagi, when you put the word A, letter A, in front of Tyagi, it means Atyagi. Atyagi is a non-relinquisher. Like all of us, we don't relinquish our ego. We want to say, I did it, I did it, this is mine, this is me. We are non-relinquishers. We are atyagis. They These we people like Aptiagis have effects of our actions that the Sannyasis, the renunciate, don't have. A, renunciate, a Sannyasi, a renunciate, who has renounced all selfish desire-prompted actions, do not have these effects of their actions. So you and I, because we've not relinquished it, we take an action, we will get a result. What is that result? It's either a bad result, disagreeable, or a good result, which is conducive and agreeable to us, or it is a mixture of both good and bad. And here's the important part that these three results of the desire-prompted action results in certain results. So actions with anger will produce a certain result, versus an action that is done with a calm and happy attitude will have a different result. That's a known fact. So a being, when you do certain things, actions, you will pay the price. You will go after your death, your mind and your intellect and your prana and your vasanas and desires travel. They leave the body and they go right? You may find this impossible to believe, but I mean, we don't know. We can't see the TV waves. Yet when I turn on the TV, the TV comes on because it's picking up waves. If I had not a cable TV, but one with antennae, I'd pick up TV waves from the air. I can't see them. I can't see radio waves. I can't see sound as it's moving through, but it's there. Similarly, we cannot see the mind and intellect as it leaves from a dead body and then waits for another body to come. But what the scriptures say is that this mind, this intellect, these vasanas then travel incredible light years and wait in heavens or not such good places, hells, which are not physically located, or so I thought. I don't know. I don't know. But could it be that there are planets where they go? That's the question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. But the scriptures say that you can be born as a devta, which is a Sanskrit word for a god with a small g, not Brahman. You can be born as a devta, who is a superior elevated being or a Because of bad good karma, you can be born as a devta or because of bad karma, you can be born as less than a human, which is like an animal because you did bad things. Or you can be born again as another human, either a good life as another human or a bad life because of bad karma. All these because of the type of actions that you have done. Whatever karma you have done and whatever kind of attitude you have used, that produces the result. Now, in the Upanishads, there's one Upanishad called the Taittiriya Upanishad. There is a list of these forms in ascending order. The highest list on that list is Brahma-lok. Brahma-lok, it, lok means a place where uh, people are. Lok also means people, the population. Brahma is that belonging to Brahman. That's the highest in that ascending order. So where is this? I always thought, eh, well, there's no such thing as out there in the space. And that brings us to this James Webb Space Telescope. <clears throat> About 25 years ago, they started developing this telescope called the James Webb Space Telescope. And it cost them 10 billion years, t- sorry, $10 billion to make this. It's an amazing thing if you look it up on the internet, what it is. Why is it important? So we talked last time, and you should maybe go back to the previous episode for me, for my brief explanation of what this is. But light travels. The sun, as it is there, out there, you know, we can see it up in the sky. By the time I see the light, it has taken... Eight minutes, that light, to come from the sun down to me here on this earth, or to you. Mm -hmm. Eight minutes. So you look and you see the sun rising, and you see the light of the sun. It has actually risen eight minutes before that. Because it took, not that it was risen, but the light took eight minutes to get to earth. Similarly, many of the stars that you see out in the uh, sky, night sky, those That light has traveled slower than the sun's light to us. That light might have taken millions of years to come to us. We talked last time in the last episode about quasars. Quasars are areas in the space which have captured light from some things that have happened on Earth many thousands of years ago. The light traveled and went and got caught in this quasar, and then the quasar released it sometime later, and it came back to Earth, and you actually saw it like you were seeing a movie. And you said, oh, I'm seeing a ghost. I'm seeing a whole battalion of Roman soldiers walking across my front yard. You're actually just seeing the light waves from thousands of years ago that went to the quasar and came back to you. I hope that's not confusing. So the planets that existed right at the beginning of time, there's this great bang took place. And we talked about this in previous episodes where the Gita and Upanishads talk about this happening every so many billion years uh, later, that the universe expands. And then so many billions of years later, it sort of contracts back into itself. And it has Sanskrit names and words for this expansion and contraction. And right now, We go through this expansion, and then we go back into contraction. And at the time of the first bang of that explosion, that happened in our current universe 14 billion years ago. 14,000 million years is 14 billion. And in the first 100 million years after the Great Bang, after the first 100 years, first 100 million years, multiple, the first series of planets took place. And the James Webb Space Telescope is going to be able to determine, to see the light coming from that first 100 million years. And it says that 40 light years away, now what is a light year? For light to travel at the speed of light, one year, the distance it'll travel is one light year. 40 of those light years is where there is a series of stars. Each star has at least one planet. So there's billions of planets in this universe, only 5% of which we know or see. Only 5%. 95% we don't know. That 95% is known as the dark matter or dark energy. That is the substratum on which everything else is built. 95%, Lou, we don't know. We only know 5%. What the Gita says is there are multiple planets on which higher levels of consciousness or lower levels of consciousness exist. So are they talking about life? I don't know. Are they talking about minds and intellects going and being there? I don't know. But I didn't know that we only know 5% of the universe as it is now. I didn't know that 40 light years away, there are, there's at least one star that they've identified that has seven planets revolving around it, three of which are known as the Goldilocks planets because they're neither too hot nor too cold and can sustain life because there's carbon dioxide and oxygen on it. And they're looking and hoping that the James Webb telescope, Space Telescope tells them about this. Why is this important? Because here's another part of the Gita or Upanishads that we just said, "Eh, as just fiction. You know, that they're talking about higher levels of consciousness being on other planets. And I don't know now if it is fiction or not. I didn't know this until I started hearing about this James Webb Space Telescope. Does that uh, feed give you fuel for further research for yourself, Luke? Because I know you're interested in these things.
1: Yes, I am going to research a lot of that stuff in the James Webb telescope, but I'm constantly um, wowed by the ancient wisdom and things that we knew well before we knew we knew them. Uh, You talked about uh, the ancients' understanding that we've revolved around the center of the galaxy. You can't see the center of the galaxy. So this is an incredible amount of wisdom and knowledge accumulated through amazing ways. that How they could understand the concept of a galaxy before you could see a galaxy I don't understand. It's just fascinating how much we knew
0: and when Not we... just the galaxy. How did they know about the uh, atom or the atom bomb uh, movements of the atom that could produce an atom bomb? How did they know all that? And now I'm fascinated about how we gained this
1: knowledge and then it got lost. It got lost in their civilizations in between and how it's coming back and I'm wondering about those cycles of knowledge now and um how we can know things
0: and then lose track of them and then come back to them. So that I think is probably the kernel of truth to our next series of episodes after we finish the gita (laughs) lou has been asking me for a long time you know because we have another three or four months that we're going to be finishing chapter 18 and what are we going to do after that and that i think is where a little seed of an idea that i have is probably going to be fanned and developed into something else that we're going to be talking about. What do you think, Lou? I love it. It's going to be great. I'm so looking forward to it. But All we right. have work to do left to do on the Gita. Yes. So we'll see you next time and we'll continue on with Chapter 18. Thank you, friends.